Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Camille Lee. She brings more than 30 years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry and is currently the head of US immunology at UCB. She started her career as a sales representative and progressed with increasing levels of responsibility both in the US and globally in areas of marketing, managed markets, operations, strategic launch planning and sales management. She shares that her greatest sense of achievement comes from building and leading teams to success, making a difference for patients and sponsoring mentoring others to personal achievements. Hi Camille, welcome to our Women to Women podcast. I am just so honored and so excited to be here speaking with you today. Divya, it is great to be speaking with you and it's me who's honored to be invited to to join in this conversation. Thank you for including me in this. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you've been one of my big role models and uh, mentors in a way. So this is definitely a huge moment for me. So um, let's get started. So we'll start from your childhood. So you grew up in California. How was it? And where in California did you grow up? So yes, I'm a California born and raised girl. I grew up in Southern California and I am the youngest of three children. I have two older brothers. So I'm also the only girl in the family, which uh, which has actually been an instrumental part of my success in in life. And my parents played a really important role in that, as did both of my brothers. Growing up in Southern California is not a bad lifestyle to have. Now, back in those days, there were orange groves and strawberry fields. That doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely one of the best parts of the country. So growing up, were there certain people that really helped you shape who you are today? Yeah. You know, as I mentioned, um, during my my youth, uh, my dad was a major influencer in my life. And, and, you know, allow me to share a little bit more on that. You know, when you're younger, oftentimes you get asked questions of what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, I would say the things that women often self-identify with, they, oh, I want to be a teacher because there's more female teachers, or I want to be a nurse because that's where they see um, women working uh, more frequently. So I would, I would share that same opinion. And, you know, every time that came up, my dad would always counter and say, well, well, why don't you want to be a doctor? Um, or why don't you want to be a lawyer? Uh, he would identify other careers that may not, one, have been so visible to me, or two, that in the ages when I was growing up were more male-dominated careers. And he really provoked me to think beyond just what I saw in front of me and, and look to and think bigger to what I wanted to do versus what society said women should do. That was that was extremely instrumental in my career. He also mentored me through a lot of different phases in my career, but in my younger years, he helped point me in a direction that was more of a sustainable career versus a hobby that I enjoyed doing, which which was around the fashion industry. You know, he he didn't I don't think he was the biggest fan of thinking that as being a sustainable uh, job or career. That doesn't necessarily mean it's true. He just helped me see that um, perhaps it was best to look at different alternatives and make a choice versus pigeonhole myself in one place and then have to course correct in my 30s or 40s when I realized that maybe that wasn't going to uh, last my lifetime. No wonder you're always so well-dressed. <laughs> it's still a fun hobby. So you came to high school level. So did you have a specific plan in place and how did that really come about? And has that plan really worked out for you? Did you walk it all the way through? Yeah. So, you know, I probably like many young people, you know, you're going through high school and, and you're really not sure 
what you what you want to do. Um, you go into college and you know, I went into business administrations where I got my degree. You know, it seemed like a good, all well-rounded degree. Um, I knew I wasn't necessarily going to be a doctor uh, per se. Law school was always there, but business and law was of interest. What then ended up materializing through college was more of a vision than a plan of what I wanted to do. And what that was, was the the vision um, on somewhat of a personal side was around my curiosity of different cultures around the world. And I had had the chance to travel and see that there were many different ways in which to go about living life and addressing um, challenges in life and opportunities. And so I personally wanted to live overseas, not just travel, but actually go live in other countries and experience what living abroad was about. And then on the more, shall we say, professional front, I came out of university with a, I say a love for, but a real appreciation and passion and inspiration and motivation around marketing. And if I peeled that onion back a little more, what I really liked about marketing was the creation of new things, um, the creation of solving challenges, the opportunity to look forward and see big pictures and figure out how to get there. So I kind of came out of college with this vision more than a plan of, I want to move into a role in marketing and I want to live overseas. So that that's the vision I started with. Now, how I ended up in the biopharmaceutical industry was more by chance and by network and connections and the opportunity to, to interview for jobs. And I will tell you, I, I was offered a job as a sales rep and I didn't want it. <laughs> I thought, I, I don't want to be a sales representative. That's not what my vision was. And it was my dad who mentored me and said, you know, Camille, if you want to be a good marketer, you need to understand your customers. And the best way to understand your customers is to sell to them. And that has got to be some of the best advice I got because to this day, 30 some odd years later, I still think about what it's like to be a sales rep and how to connect with them and think about what they are doing every day. And it's hard. And yet we need them and we need to keep them motivated. So that was some of the best advice. Now, did my plan play out or my vision played out? Yes, I I was able to live overseas for 13 years and uh, loved it. I've lived in five different countries. So that part of my vision definitely played out. I wanted to live in Paris, which I did not, but I have traveled to Paris enough that I could say I can get around without a map. And I feel like it's home, even though I haven't lived there. As far as the career, yes, I've gone into marketing. I've gone actually beyond marketing and into leadership roles. And I wouldn't say that was necessarily part of my plan. It just evolved once I kept going and opportunities presented themselves and I became more intrigued or interested in different pathways. The interesting thing about having these visions, you know, when they materialize, and I'm very fortunate that these were dreams of mine and and they became reality, you usually stop I didn't. One can usually not think beyond that. So I found myself you know, into my middle of my career with having achieved a lot of my vision and thinking, okay, what's next? And that part of the journey became a bit different where it's not necessarily a plan, but yet it's confidence in yourself to navigate and connect back to you and what's personally motivating to drive you forward and where you want to go versus having a plan, which means you might miss some of what you 
think is a great opportunity. It's very interesting that you started in sales, but you were able to reach your vision in the best way possible because you had that kind of um, experience behind you. At any point during this time, right, while you were sales, still thinking of marketing, did you explore any other career options? I did not. Well, that's not true. I did. My desire to want to move overseas got the best of me at one point. And I wouldn't say it was a career option, but I, I did explore an opportunity at Club Med uh, because at least I could live overseas and, and enjoy that. But it wasn't really a career. So that became a quick reality. And uh, and I obviously didn't pursue that path. But um, I, you know, I, I did not explore a lot of career opportunities outside of the pharmaceutical industry, perhaps within medical devices, uh, but not necessarily outside of the industry as a whole. And I realized actually more so later in my career, what drew me to this industry was the passion around the patient and the fact that every patient or every individual usually has some type of health impediment. And if we can make a difference to help someone live a more enriched life, that means something to me. I don't think I knew that so crisp and clearly at a younger age, but maybe intuitively it was part of what was in my my gut or my soul that kept me here. And while I looked at other places and thought, oh, that looks like it could be fun or this or that, it didn't draw me in the same way the industry I'm in does. You mentioned sales, right? That it really prepared you for where you are. Are there other skills that you think really help somebody who wants to be a marketer? You know, straight coming out of college, are there certain roles that you would recommend that people take up? I think so much of it depends on, you know, one is to be a marketer, but it also depends on in today's environment, marketing is different than it was um, in my younger years. So I still believe sales is a, a valuable role to have to understand the customer. I also think that today, the importance of understanding the digital environment is a critical part of marketing. It's a question of what roles exist that help in that arena. So, you know, if I was perhaps doing my marketing channel pathway differently, I might have done a, a step into a digital health company and learn more about what the digital health environment is evolving to and where it's going. And then I could always come back into biopharmaceuticals or I could continue down that path. Um, but the, the technology environment is critical in today's success for marketing. So understanding that and finding ways to bring your competency level up to where we are today is important. The other part of marketing in, in the biopharmaceutical industry, of course, is understanding market access in the payer environment. And that's just a very, it's a different environment and experience in a payer or a market access role makes a difference when you're trying to run a commercial organization. So networking plays a huge role, right? Making the right connections, even getting to know what else is out there. What does networking mean for you and how do you think it's important, especially for women, because we hesitate to network the right way? I think networking is incredibly important. And I, in my younger years, did not look at that and, and take it seriously. I probably saw it more as a social event where you have a chance to connect and meet other people, but I did not think of it um, quite so much so as a business and about a way about communicating my brand and who I am or what I stand for. So in today's world, networking is 
is even more important because you don't have as much face-to-face, at least we haven't in the last several years. So coming on forums where you can meet other people and having a 30-second elevator pitch about who you are and what are your standout qualities is extremely valuable to have because when I'm in different forums and I've met someone and I could be, ah, yes, Divya, I met her, I talked with her, you know, she's got this background and I can bring her name forward, your name forward into the, the discussion and recommend you to someone for a job or for an opportunity, you know, depending on what you're looking for. So I think networking becomes important to know one, your 30 second elevator speech, what your unique capabilities are. And it doesn't hurt to ask and say, hey, you know, I'm looking to be on a board position. If you have any knowledge of board openings and you can pass my name along, that'd be great. I find as women, we frequently don't ask those things. We assume that maybe someone will help us out. I'm late to the table on networking. I did not do that as well as I could have. And I find the more I do it now, the more you realize each other is there to help each other. You know, we as women are there to help each other more than I give us credit for doing. And it's extremely rewarding. And you make some good friends along the way too. You mentioned, you know, somebody who can put your name forward. So this this is this whole discussion we've been having, right? Mentorship versus sponsorship in a way. How do you find these sponsors that can move your agenda along or your career along? In your career, did you ever have mentors or sponsors or some people call them ambassadors for your brand and that really helped you? Yeah, you know, it's a really great question and it's an interesting one because throughout my whole career, or at least the last 20 years of my career, I've always been involved in a lot of discussions around how do we as a company or an organization um, move forward mentoring. But I found very few companies really understand how to effectively mentor and or sponsor. And I say that because in my experience, I've had, I haven't had much mentorship uh, within a company. It's been within my private connection. So for example, my dad was a great mentor and he asked me the questions that I needed to think about what make a difference for me and not a mentorship that helps me to get to another place in the company because that's what the company wants. And I think that's the big difference. You know, sponsorship is is helping someone make sure that your name is in the in the pot where you are and where you want to go. Whereas mentorship is really helping the individual identify where they want to go and how to get there and how to navigate it. I find interestingly so that some of my mentors are also some peers I've worked with in the later years where we can talk and share experiences with each other. And without really doing the official mentoring, we're mentoring each other. And that's how I've experienced mentorship in a, in a more realistic way than a structured way. I really would love to see it work more effectively, and I'm sure it does in other companies uh, in other places. I know that I'm mentoring a couple of people in our company right now, and I really spend a focused amount of time thinking about them and what they want versus what the company wants. And that's, that's becomes a very important part of mentorship. Absolutely. So you have had a vast career, very successful, uh, very impressive. If you were to divide this into maybe three or four chapters, what would those be? And how do you think each of those chapters led you to the next one? Oh, Divya, that is such a great question. Three or four chapters. So I would have my 
youthful energy chapter, which uh, would be the first part of my career where I just, I had all the ideas. I had tons of energy and, you know, I was, you know, if you, if they said we had to do eight calls a day, I was doing 10 or 12, you know, I've always loved what I do. So that's never changed. But, you know, when you're new into your career, you really, you're in it and you're learning and you've got ideas and you want to continue to have an impact. And it's perhaps not in such a structured way. Um, but rather what comes to you in the moment. And that that a lot was connected with my sales years and, and when I moved into um, the office and took on the marketing role. Then I think the second part of the chapter, once I moved through that and I moved overseas, I would go into the second chapter, which is really, I had a chapter there longer than I, I would have liked, but it it was a chapter on proving myself, being in uh, multiple different roles of leadership. I always still felt that I needed as a woman to prove myself, to prove that I was good enough to be in the role that I was and that I deserved it. You know, so oftentimes when you're in a room and you're the only woman in the room, I just felt that need to prove that I was I was worth being in that room and that I earned that seat. I didn't realize how much I was doing that until I, uh, I got a coach. And through the discussion with a coach, I realized that proving myself was also resulting in a defensive response to defend my team and what they were doing. And as soon as I became aware of that, I stepped back. And uh, my coach was phenomenal because she helped me recognize I already had the credibility and I didn't need to prove myself. And if I just relaxed in myself, turned my approach around to be one of, of seeking clarity or insight amongst my peers, that would propel me forward. And that's what it did. And that moves me into the third chapter where it became what I would call a confident leadership chapter where I don't feel the need to have to prove myself and validate that I am good enough anymore, but rather just be confident in what I am bringing to the table and, you know, really pulling in my team and letting them shine and letting them be front and center and being comfortable, which I very much so am and actually rather enjoy being in the back and leading from the back. It's just a, this part of the chapter in my career is extremely rewarding for that. And, uh, and I'm having a lot of fun just being able to lead a great group of people. You have faced a lot of adversity in your life, but you <laughs> have managed to rise above it and really be successful. Would you mind sharing your experiences there? Yes, I think everybody faces adversity. It just depends on, you know, what it is and it's different for everybody. You know, as women in the workforce, we face adversity depending on um, the industry we're in or the companies we're in. For me, probably my greatest adversity is a bit more of a personal one. It relates back to uh, childhood when at the age of one, I had meningitis. I don't remember any of it. I just know that I was a very sick um, little girl. And after I became well and came home, you know, I, my parents would tell me I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them out of my sight. And so I I kind of had to work through, you know, the illness that I had. And again, nothing of it I remember consciously, but somewhere inside me that stays there, right? You know, and I progressed through through my younger years and what ended up happening as a result of my meningitis is I lost hearing in one ear. So I uh, was completely deaf in one ear and partially deaf in another. And 
it didn't seem to be an issue to me, mainly because the way my parents embraced it and they never saw that as a disability. They just said, okay, so what? You have a hearing loss, sit closer to the teacher or, you know, answer the phone with your right ear and not your left ear. And they basically embraced it as that's just the way life is. And so that's all I knew. I went through then my 10, you know, 20s, 30s and and into my 40s. And then I had some health challenges and uh, all of a sudden my hearing and uh, my good ear started to dissipate. And uh, one morning, it, if you could just imagine you wake up one morning and all of a sudden you can't hear anything. That happened to me. And so I was in the you know, height of a, a career and doing a great job of that I love. And all of a sudden I couldn't hear and I didn't know what was happening and I didn't know why. After several months, I regained some of my hearing. I had to, through that process, I ended up having to wear a hearing aid so that I could hear people. What became interesting there is that element of vulnerability and vulnerability and leadership and trust. I didn't have a lot of trust that that people wouldn't look at me and say, oh, you know, she's weak because of it. And yet I had a boss where I worked that, you know, I told him what was going on. And he said, look, Camille, we all have health issues one or, way or another, you know, in this individual, he had um, type one diabetes as an adult. And um, and he shared with me a story where he had a hypoglycemic incident. And just him sharing that story with me made me realize we're human. And allowing us to bring our vulnerability to the table makes you more human and enriches you as a person. It took a while. I will say it was a good five or six years before I could talk about it like I do now, that I could even volunteer up. I wear a hearing aid. Now it's it's a part of who I am. And it's Something I'm very proud of because during those years, I actually won a number of awards for as a, a top performer in the operations organization globally in our company. And yet no one really knew the magnitude of what I was navigating. It's made me a more vulnerable leader, uh, a more compassionate leader. You know, it's, it's something I think we all deal with every day, but it's, it's the journey that connected me back into why I'm in the industry I'm in and making me realize that if I can help people who have a health impediment live a life without the barriers like I was able to do, then I feel like I've, I've made a difference somehow, some way. During all of this time, do you did you ever feel that you were at a disadvantage, especially because you were a woman? You were trying to prove extra hard that you were worth it at the beginning of your career. Then you come, you arrived, and something like this happens. Did you ever feel at a disadvantage? Yes, you, without a doubt, you look around the room and you're the only woman. And sometimes you feel like you're the token woman. Other times you're disadvantaged in perhaps not heard in the same way. I, I could, I can count on both hands the number of times I will say something and it kind of gets, okay, all right. And then uh, a male counterpart could say something almost word for word. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> You're sitting there going, wait, what? <laughs> it can make you feel a little like, wait, am I losing my mind? I think I just said that. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that is while you can feel it, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's a bit more subtle. Because I was raised the way I was as being, you know, we're all equal. 
I don't know if I necessarily in the beginning looked at it as a disadvantage. However, it may be what fed me to want to have to prove myself more. And do you think as women, there are certain things that uh, in terms of attitude, mindset, that we need to develop to really be strong and really believe in our own self-worth? Yes. Well, first off, I think women can help women. We're on that journey. I've got a number of situations where I see women helping women. uh, And then there's situations where they don't. Um, When we're in meetings and in such a situation, I shared where I'll say something and a man will repeat what I said and it gets more attention. I think other women in the room could say, oh, great. I'm so glad to hear that you, you are aligned with what Camille was saying because it helps bring forward and support each other. I think there are things that we as women can do that can help each other out. But what ends up happening sometimes, and, we ha- and we're not always aware of it, is because there's so few spots for women around the table, we might be competing against each other for those few spots. Instead of recognizing we actually can open up more spots for women by supporting each other. Sometimes it's important to step back and look at who all is around the table and the role you play versus trying to be a woman in the room. It's almost important to step back and think about, okay, who are the different individuals that sit in that room? What role are they playing? What role can you play? And how can you reshape the role you're playing? And that may help shape the way you ask a question, perhaps put forward an answer. I think that becomes important. And sometimes we can, we can go into a room knowing we have to prove ourselves. So we're more focused on that instead of being focused on, okay, what are the dynamics in the room and how do I have the impact I want to have? And on the flip side, are there certain mistakes you see women making all the time? Well, we're human, right? And uh, so we do make mistakes, you know, it kind of goes back to, we make the mistake of not supporting each other. We also, by natural habit fall in line to the to the environment where a man is leading the environment and uh, and so you fall in line to what that environment needs to be versus trying to find a way to evolve it and shape it and I was just thinking of a meeting I was at the other day and you know you have some very strong male leaders which are fantastic people they're, they're great guys and fantastic and what I noticed at the end was all the women were complimenting the men for what they oh that's a great idea or you did a great job here you did a great job there. And I, and I kind of smiled to myself and looked around. I thought we're not even complimenting ourselves and the different work that we do. And I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. And, and it's just because I don't stop and think about it. It's only when you bring it forward more in your mind and you have to consciously think about how do we help support each other uh, as women. There's this element about aggressive being aggressive um, or assertive. I have found that that's a really personal thing with who you're interacting with. And when I'm direct with some people, they like it. They think it's good. And I'm assertive when I'm direct with others, they think, wow, you're being awfully aggressive. And I'm not sure that I understood that in my younger years. And so the mistakes I made was not reading the people who I was engaging with to know how they may see aggression and tailoring some of my communication to have the impact I want with them versus with just anybody. So on a very personal note, what gives you joy? What makes you happy? My family uh, and my friends and my dog right now. (laughs) I get a tremendous amount of joy with being with friends and family. And I think going through the pandemic, I always got joy there, but it just heightened the value 
of the joy you get when you're with family and friends. I also like to be outdoors. And so I hike a lot on weekends and I get a lot of joy in just kind of going out and exploring new areas. That curiosity hasn't left. I may not be able to jump on a plane and travel to the ends of the earth, but I I can get in a car and drive and see a new area only an hour away. And uh, and there's a lot of really cool things in our in our country to still go see. Uh, you don't have to get on a plane for. They, these are the things that give me joy. That's the California gal in you, <laughs> loving the outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> we think nothing of driving. Camille, in closing, anything else you would want to leave our listeners with final advice? First of all, I'm really I'm just honored and humbled to be able to share some of this with you. I the thoughts I would have is don't underestimate the value you're giving to other people. I don't think of that myself personally. And sometimes people will share something with me about how I've impacted them. And that's very humbling and it's nice. And I think it's important for us to remember that what we do every day has and can have an impact on someone else. As long as what we're doing and is aligned with our values, then that's a really great thing. Don't lose sight of that because it, if you lose sight of that, then you can lose sight of what your dreams are or you know who you are as a person. The other thing is I've always stayed true to my passion and what's connected to my heart, not just my head. And that's not to say that my ego has gotten in the way at times. Um, but I've always, I've said no to jobs because I knew that the job wasn't going to inspire and motivate me. It was really a, a, a means to an end to another job, but I had no guarantees I would get that other job. And I wanted to enjoy the moment I was in and not the promise of what could be in three or four years. I can only encourage people to find that balance, to stay within their passion and stay connected to that passion and reconnect with it. It's not easy and it takes an effort um, especially when we have busy lives and work can take a lot of time and then you have family and so forth. So it's important to find that time to connect back to you. And then the last part is find your energy, energy sources, know where to go to get them because they, they are the ones that can help you, whether for me, it's, it, there's elements of photography or hiking, but those energy sources give me the time to reflect and perhaps if my confidence is low, help me rebuild it or figure out how to rebuild it um, so that I don't spend the time that I, I've done trying to defend myself, but rather just appreciate myself for me. Thank you so much, Camille. This, this was really an honor. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your time and all the great advice. Oh, thank you so much, Divya. And uh, I really, it's great to see you again and, and your success. A pleasure to be here.